Father, I pray once again that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You're probably familiar with um, those images of dominoes that people set up, where they take thousands and thousands of dominoes and they make designs out of them and, and they, they do, you know, I've, all kinds of things. I was watching some of the videos this week. I was going to show one, but some of them are they're so long. You know, two or three minutes of dominoes falling. And it, but it, you know, they, they are, I just am so astounded at the, first of all, how much time it would take to put that kind of thing together, but just the beauty of them and the, the intricacies of them and all the ways in which those dominoes fall just exactly right to, to make the patterns and things. I was thinking about that this week because it struck me that there is a way in which prophecy in Scripture is a little bit like God knocking over the first domino in one of those patterns that sets everything in motion. There is something about the fact that in the, in the, prop, in the prophetic words of God, that, that God is saying, this is not the end of what I want to say, but this is the beginning of it, and this is to get your attention, and this is to get things started. And there is a sense in which prophecy has a way of doing that. And I was thinking about that because there are a number of prophecies in that are connected to the birth and the coming of Jesus. And over the course of the next few weeks, I want to look at three or four of those that Matthew uses as he describes both the birth and the coming of Christ. And the reason why I think those prophecies are important is to remind us that the God of the Old Testament is no different than the God of the New Testament. Scripture tells us that Jesus comes to reveal the very nature of who God is. Jesus doesn't come to say, well, now this is a, a new God, then, and that other God you can put aside. He comes to say that God that we've always known, here is just the very clearest picture of that very same God who is consistently who he is. And we see that in these prophetic words. And the first one I want us to think about today is this word from Isaiah and from John, prepare the way of the Lord. When you think about preparing the way, we often think of all kinds of activity. You think of the preparations probably this week and Thanksgiving. There were lots of preparations that were, went into the meal, whatever that was for you, that you sat down to eat on Thanksgiving. And the same thing would be true of other times when we get together with people. Preparation is important. And when we think about the preparation of God's, for God to come, for the Lord to come, that both Isaiah and John describe, I think that we can often think it's about being busy. But the reality is, it starts not in what we do, it starts in our attitude. It starts in our mindset, it starts in our perspective. It starts in our hearts and in our minds. To prepare is to be open, is to be willing to listen, it's to be humble, it's to want Jesus to come the very way he comes and say whatever he wants to say. 
And we're open to that. And that is where preparation starts. Out of that preparation comes activity and comes the things that we do. But it starts there. It makes me think of Revelation 3.20. When Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who opens the door, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and I'll, I'll have fellowship with you. And you'll notice that the key element of this is hearing his voice. No one's going to open the door if they don't hear his voice. How is it that people hear his voice? Because they're listening. There's a mindset of of hearing, of wanting to hear, of expectation. We didn't finish, we didn't read on past in Matthew, Matthew 3 here, but the next section of this is, John has been baptizing people, and then the religious leaders from Jerusalem show up. And John says to them, what are you doing here? Seems an odd thing for John to say when he's inviting people to come. And I think it's because he knows that while all the people who are being baptized have come in a spirit of openness and humility and wanting to experience God, the religious leaders come just to judge And we find, as the story progresses all the way to the end of the Gospels, that they really have very little, if any, interest in hearing God. They just want to do what they want to do. They're closed off to God. This is why you see John connects not only the preparing of the Lord with this sense of openness, but also with repentance. Says John came into the wilderness preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And to repent is to bring ourselves in openness to God. It's recognition that we need God. It's recognition of confessing our sins. It's recognition that we need God to do a work in us. It's recognition that we are not complete. To repent is to come to God in openness and say, God, I need you. Do what you need to in me. That's why it's such an integral part of preparing. We want God to do what he wants to do. We want to hear whatever God wants to say. We want to follow however God wants to lead us. It's that mindset of preparation that is so vital. But of course, we're only going to prepare the way if we have a level of interest in where the way is going. Sometimes we think that repentance is is sort of the goal. That if I can just if I come to the place of repenting, that's really the that's the ultimate end of it. That's the purpose of it. But it's not true. Repentance is like the road construction that gets us to the goal. If you have been around here very long, you remember we had a couple of years where they were working on the road between here and Fillmore. And if you were like me, it was maddening having to sit and wait for the one-way traffic and to get, you know, the people you go around and dealing with all of that. And it seemed to go on forever. But we put up with it. And we even were willing to, to, to be nice about it because we knew what was what the end result was going to be. But the point was not, the goal wasn't, hey, they're doing road construction. The goal was what the road was going to look like when they got done with the road construction. But it only mattered to us 
We only cared about the road construction if we had an interest of going between here and Fillmore and back. If you never travel that road, if you have no interest in traveling that road, you don't really care about preparing that road. And that's why John says, repent, prepare, because the kingdom of heaven is here. It's about the kingdom. What are we preparing for? We're preparing for the coming of the kingdom. What are we repenting about? We're repenting about the God in all of his glory and the, Jesus Christ to come into our lives and to bring us into the kingdom. And the kingdom is really just the spitting image of God, of the king. Sometimes we, we have in our minds the kingdom is all of this and God is this. But the reality is if it's God's kingdom, then it, it's going to look like God. It's, the kingdom is his passion, his will, his desires, everything about him. That's the kingdom. And if we want to be in the kingdom, then our passion is about him. What he wants, what he desires, what his will is. And as we prepare, we're preparing. So often we get wrapped up in preparing that it's just about, I want to prepare a road so that, so that I can do what I want. So that I can feel free and do what I want. But the reality is we're only preparing the road so that, he says, prepare the road for the Lord to come. We're preparing the road so that we can do what God wants as his spirit fills us. As we begin to, as we're more and more shaped into his image, that's why we're preparing. This thing is going somewhere. And it's about the king and the kingdom. And if we miss that, I'm convinced if, we, if the kingdom isn't our goal, then we're never going to really invest in preparing. And our preparation is always going to be self-centered and self-absorbed and all about self-interest. It's only when we begin to understand that the kingdom is about, that what we're preparing for is the coming of the king and that all we want is the coming of the king into our lives and everything about our lives is about the king. Only then will our preparation truly lead us to where God wants us to go and to be. It's all about Jesus. And again, that's why the religious leaders miss it. Because for them, life is all about them. It's all about what they want. It's all about how they think. And to ponder changing that, to ponder giving up everything they've accumulated, simply is impossible to do. And here's the struggle. You and I are continually tempted to think the way they think instead of the way Jesus thinks. That's why we have to prepare. That's why we have to have the right mindset, the mindset of the kingdom of Christ. I find it fascinating that all of this preparation is taking place in a wilderness. That is a strange place to prepare a road, a wilderness. Who wants to travel in a wilderness? The Israelites come out of Egypt and they go into the wilderness, but only because God leads them into the wilderness. If it were up to them, they would have taken the shortest route, the quickest route, 
And that wouldn't be through the wilderness. The easiest route, and that's not through the wilderness. The wilderness, it represents danger. It represents violence and chaos. It repre- it's unpredictable. The wilderness is really, I think it, it's, it's a place where we recognize neediness. We recognize our fears, our struggles. In a sense, the wilderness is a metaphor for real life. And John and Isaiah are saying, prepare a road through real life. We'd like to kind of run away from that. But here's John the Baptist, not only talking about the wilderness, but living in the wilderness. Someone said to me this week, I wonder if the way John is described in pretty wild terms, you know, the the belt, the locusts, the honey, you know, I always picture John with this wild hair and this mangy, mangy beard and things, you know, and and maybe they're saying, maybe, what if John's maybe a metaphor for the wilderness? Maybe so. But what I find interesting is that the command is not build a road after you destroy the wilderness. And it's not make a way around the wilderness because that would be denial of reality. But the command is make a way through the wilderness. Because the coming of Christ is never about escapism. It's about believing that Christ is greater than the struggles and the burdens of life even as we go through them. One of the great temptations that we want to believe, and there are people all over the place who will tell us this, is that to follow Jesus means life will be easy, free of problems, free of struggles. Everything that might be an issue, if you follow Jesus, all that just disappears. I must not be following the right, in the right path. And I suspect you're thinking the same thing. We don't get that promise in Scripture. We don't get, follow me, and I'll remove all the struggles of life. What we do get is, follow me, I'll be with you. Prepare the way of the Lord to walk with you in the path. It's one of the most repeated promises in all of Scripture. God's saying to his people, I will be with you. Right through the middle of it. Prepare a way. The only reason we would do that is because we have come to a place where we begin to realize who's calling us on this journey. I love the fact that Isaiah begins chapter 40 with those words, comfort, comfort my people. When you say prepare the way for the Lord, it sort of feels like a warning. And I have often interpreted it, prepare the way of the Lord or you're going to be in big trouble with God. And it may well be a warning, but I think it's also an invitation. In fact, I've almost come to the conclusion that all of God's warnings are invitations. 
They're invitations to come with him, to trust him, to walk with him, to be a part of the kingdom, to, to sense his embrace and his love and his mercy and forgiveness. All of the warnings are really at their heart an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come, everyone who is weary in spirit. Come, everyone who's weary and sad. Come to the fountain whose fullness in Jesus. All that you're longing for, come and be glad. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come and to journey with the one who loves us. Israel has been through ups and downs, more downs than ups by the time you get to Isaiah's prophecy. And the first 39 chapters are, are describing so much of their journey and their struggle and their rejecting God and God coming back to them and all of all the, the journey of that. And you get to chapter 40 and he says, okay, now prepare the way for the Lord. And you almost can sense them saying, what does that look like? Who is this? And so you get to the end of chapter 40 and they're complaining about God. God isn't paying attention to us. God doesn't understand our burdens. God doesn't know what it's like. And you come to verse 28 and he says, have you not heard? Do you not know? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fully fathom. He gives strength to the weary. And increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord. Those who prepare the way of the Lord. Will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the God who calls us to prepare the way. This is what he wants to do for us, that in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the reality and the difficulties and the struggles and the chaos of life, this is the God who says, prepare the way for me. Open your hearts to me. Come to me humbly. Remove all the barriers that you can between you and me, and you will find life more than you could have ever dreamed or imagined. Not because he takes us out of the wilderness, but because he is with us in the middle of the wilderness. But I love what Isaiah says when you get to verse five. And he says, and, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the earth will see it together. You see, preparing the way for the Lord is never just about us. It's always about others. That's God's plan from the very beginning. The gospel is always never just about God's people. It's always about the whole world. You go back to Genesis. He says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your descendants so that you will be a blessing to all the nations, all the world. It's always about all the world. You know, I was, grew up in southern Indiana, 
And I remember as a child, we'd be driving on those back roads, and you would see all these fields. You know, Indiana's, like a lot of other places, famous for corn and crops and things. And you drive along, and you'd see these places where they had these little, little signs along the road. Maybe you've noticed those. And I remember as a child always wondering, what in the world are those? What does that mean? And then I came to discover that they're called demonstration plots. And uh, when, the, when seed companies come out with a new seed that they want the farmers to, to buy from them, a seed that's different than what they've bought before, they have to figure out a way to convince the farmers to buy them. And of course, if, if crops are your livelihood, you're going to be very skeptical about trying something new. Because what if it doesn't work? It's a big problem. So they set up these demonstration plots where they plant seeds. They take some land, right around, it's always along the roads, so farmers can see it. And they set up these demonstration plots, and they put up the signs to say, these, this is growing this particular seed. And the farmers can see, this is what happens when you grow this seed. And hopefully, for the seed companies, it convinces them to say, okay, that looks great. I'll buy those seeds. Craig Van Gelder says, the church is God's demonstration plot to the world. People look at the church and say, that's what it looks like to prepare the way for the Lord. And the thing that we have to understand is that as we are preparing the way for our journey, we are preparing the way of the journey for other people. And part of our calling, again, it's not just about our journey. It's about making a road visible to people who didn't even know a road existed. It's about clearing the road so that people who want to join can navigate it. And what we have to understand is that as we are making our journey, our preparation should mean that the road looks different than the wilderness. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we get so engaged in not only what's happening in the world, but the way you get things accomplished in the world that our strategies and our actions and our attitudes and our words really don't look that much different from everybody else who doesn't have any interest in the road. And when that's the case, why would anyone want to follow us on the road? It always comes back to our attitude and, and reflecting the image of Christ. I think that's why Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit in your life is not that you know all kinds of great things, as important as it is to know things, but it's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Something about the road that we are preparing reveals Jesus to people. And the great thing about that is sometimes we think that's a huge responsibility and it is, but actually it's a privilege. 
we get the privilege of helping people see Jesus. We get to be, we get the privilege of being the demonstration plot for people in the world that would lead them to say, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, I want to be a part of that. But it starts with our attitude and our perspective about Jesus in our lives. And often we think that we, our preparations so that other people can see are in grandiose things. Sometimes they are. But I would guess that more often than not, it's just in everyday life. It's in the mundane things of life. How we treat our family and our co-workers, our neighbors, people in the store. Wherever we are, wherever we go, it's the everyday moments that God seems to use most to help people see what it looks like to follow him. One of my favorite Christmas stories is the shoemaker's dream. You may be familiar with it. It's the story of a cobbler 150 years ago who had a dream one night that the next day the Lord was coming to visit him in his cobbler shop. He woke up from the dream and it was so real that he thought, man, this, this is going to happen. And so he went out, he got some greenery, and he decorated his shop all up and fire going and food prepared. And he waited. About mid-morning there was a knock at the door, he opened it, an old man came in asking if he could come in to rest. And, and the cobbler said, sure, come by the fire and sit down. And as they were sitting there, he noticed that the old man's shoes were, were basically worn out completely so he went to the shelf and he grabbed a new pair of shoes and he gave them to the old man and when he went on his way he had warm feet again later in the afternoon he uh, another knock on the door and there was an older woman there struggling under some firewood again seeking warmth and he invited her in and got by, got her by the fire and in the course of their conversation he discovered that she hadn't eaten for two days and so he went and got some of the food he prepared and gave it to her. And when she left, she was nourished. And later that afternoon, he heard crying outside. He went out, and there was a little child who was lost and afraid. And so with a bit of, of hesitancy that he might miss Jesus, he took the child home. By the time he got back, it was dark. And he went into his shop and he felt this overwhelming sense of sadness and disappointment. And he cried out, God, I thought you were coming today. And it was as if he heard a voice that said, oh, but I did. I came three times today. I was the man that you put shoes on his feet. And I was the woman that you gave food to eat. And I was the frightened child out on the street. And I suspect that most of the time, preparing the way of the Lord is day by day, moment by moment, of openness 
to Christ. What he does with that is up to him. It's the openness on our part that he's inviting us to enter into life with him and trusting him and believing that life can be more than we often think it could be. Holy Father, we thank you for this wondrous invitation. Speak into our hearts. Give us grace and strength to clear away the things that get between you and us. That we might prepare the way for our journey, for the journeys of others, through the grace of Christ. Amen.